You can open to Luke chapter 16 in your one hand. Luke 16 and Romans chapter 12. I feel a bit loud. Not? Good? Okay. Luke 16 and Romans 12. Now, um, I think the, the, the reason for this lesson, if I can put it this way, is that what does God want me to do with the finances that He has given me? Because ultimately, every Christian starts from that point where he says, what I have is something God has entrusted to me. I am a steward. I am, I am supposed to oversee or to master what He has given me. So how, how does God want me to go about this aspect of finances? This is not about whether you have a lot or a little. The point is, if you have something, what is it that God expects of you to do with that something that you have? Also, the fact that we, 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 we're all familiar with the verse that for the love of money is the root of all evil. And that does not speak about quantity. That is about a desire to be rich. That is about your mindset about money being wrong. If you have a lot or a little, it doesn't matter. A lot of rich people don't have this problem. A lot of poor people have that problem and vice versa. So, it's not about the quantity. All right, now... Yeah, like I said, it's what God wants us to do with it. Um, God has made us stewards of not just finances. He's made us stewards of our talents. He's made us stewards of our time. He's made us stewards of His Word and truth in His Word. All these things we are supposed to be faithful stewards of. Now, lest you think that this is purely a, a, a worldly subject or purely a, um, something that, what does this have to do with my spiritual life? I just want to point something out to you in Luke chapter 16 quickly. Luke chapter 16 and verse 11. Luke 16 verse 11 says, If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you your trust the true riches? So what, what God is essentially saying, or there, Jesus is saying, there are two things that I want you to focus on, and that is that, God cares about what you do with your money. He, he actually cares about it. He says, if you are not faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that is to say, the, the, the carnal things of re pertaining to wealth, that's mammon, right? So these carnal things pertaining to mammon, if you're not faithful in that, how will God ever entrust to you true riches? So the first thing is God cares about what you do with the money that you have. Secondly, he's also very um, specific to say that these are not the true riches, right? So he cares about what you do with it because it is, I almost want to say, it's like a, a small-scale test of what he wants to entrust you with. But if you can't handle the small thing, which you have somewhat a lot of control over, that is carnal, how can he entrust you things that are spiritual and eternal and of far greater value? So the, the, this is, a, I want to say, preparation for greater things. And so we need to view it in that light. Another thing that I want to draw your attention to is in Romans chapter 12. Now, as, as believers in Christ and as people who want to be His disciples and um, serve Him in everything that we do, we need to check ourselves as to 
what way of thinking we have been conformed to. Do we think about our finances in a way that is, I want to say, purely worldly? Or do we think of it in a way that is pleasing to God? You're familiar with the verse, but in Romans 12, verse 2, it says, and be, not, um, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this verse is not speaking purely about finances, but it's, it's certainly not excluding it. It's certainly not excluding it. It says, be not conformed to this world. Can you be conformed in your way of thinking to this world regarding finances? Of course you can. Now it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So God wants to say, I want to renew the way you think about finances, not to be conformed to this world. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, part of it is, Lord, what is your will for me regarding this fi these finances that you have given me. So I'm giving you that as introduction because I want you to see it from the right, from the right perspective as that is that this is not purely a carnal issue. You can definitely make it purely a carnal issue. And if you do that, it will definitely affect your relationship with God. But this is something God has given you and God wants you to work with it. God wants you to do something with it. And the way you handle that is definitely a sign of how spiritually mature you are and how much God can entrust you true riches. All right. Now, God has given us actually a lot more in Scripture than I, about finances that I think most people are aware of. He's, he's given us a lot of principles, a lot of things we need to think about when it comes to finances and I think it would be, um, what's the right word? Very, I can't think of a good word. It would be very bad if we just ignored the principles God has given us. That would not be a faithful steward. If he has said, this is what, I don't want you to do this, I want you to do this, think about this, distribute it this way, that, that, and you go like, <laughs> I'm not... The Bible doesn't speak about money, so I'm not going to listen to that. So I want us to approach it in, in, in three different categories, if you can put it that way. The first one is our perspective. And what I mean by that is, how do we view money? Okay? How do we see it? How do we see its purpose? What is, how does it fit into the grand scheme of things? What is our perspective about it? The second thing I want us to look at is principles. Now, this has more to do with how we gain it and how we use it. The principles. I, I'm using the word principle not just because it's a P, but also because it's not a rule. A lot of these things, the principles are not going to be rules. It's not like you're sinning if you don't do it, but you're foolish. You're not doing it the way God wants you to do it. And then lastly, um, I want to say, let's call it practice. And by practice, I literally mean, what do you do? How are you going to implement this? So the way you view money has to affect the principles by which you use money 
And the principles, the way you th- this, the principles given in Scripture, the way you think about it, has to affect the way you actually implement it. So these two flow from perspective to principles to practice. And I think they should stay in that order. The way the Scripture views money should be the way you view money. And therefore, the principles that we have in Scripture are the principles according to which you should conduct yourself. And then that should affect the way you use it or the way you practically spend it. All right, so open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to draw all our perspective points. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I think many of you will be very familiar with this passage. Um, but I think there's still a lot of good things we can take from it. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 5 says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. So the first perspective that I want to give to you is that gain has nothing to do with godliness. You can have... There are so many people I've spoken to, ask people... um, do you know God? Do you have a relationship with God? How, how, how is your relationship with God doing? And a lot of people will say, I'm okay, or we're good. And I ask them why, and they say, well, if I wasn't, why am I blessed? Why do I have all these things? And so they are, they are the people who are destitute of truth and of corrupt minds, because they're the ones that say, because I have, it must mean that God is saying, you're good. And that is completely missing the point. First of all, who says that God gave that person that, those riches? Isn't it the God of this world who has blinded the hearts of men that they may not believe the gospel? And what is a way in which he can blind people? Definitely by saying, I don't need God, I've got everything I need right here. And so to immediately assume because I have money that means God's stamp of approval is on my life is definitely a false assumption. It does not mean that if you have money that God's hand is not on your life. I'm not making that statement, but what I'm saying is don't look at your bank account and say, therefore God is good. That is supposing that gain is godliness. So if you have above average money, don't think that that says anything about your spiritual stance. Now, we know that God has blessed, we know that God has given, and some people have more, and some people have less, and that God distributes, and that, that is fine. But do not say, because this person has a little, and this person has a lot, that you somehow can say spirituality, therefore, is also guided by that. And that is the first perspective that I want you to, to um, think of. And if you find yourself surrounded by people like that, verse 5 says, withdraw yourself from that. Do not surround yourself by people who say God and money can be together, can sit on the same throne, that it cannot be on the same throne. So gain is not godliness. That's the first perspective. That's the way God views it. Let's have a look at verse 6 to 8. Verse 6 to 8 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be 
content. So the second perspective is contentment. Not complacency, contentment. There's a difference between being content and saying, God, I am so thankful for what you've blessed me with. And I, am, I want to say, it is, it is, contentment is something that is active. It is something that is saying, and you'll see when we look at the principles, you see it's about how you work. It's about all these things, how you distribute and how you plan. And so contentment is, not, is, 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 is definitely an active principle. Whereas complacency is this lazy, laid-back, slothful, sluggardly approach to say, ah, I have what I have. And that is not the same as contentment. Contentment is something that is active, something that is constantly trying to um, serve God. But you may remember in First Timothy, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 5, it speaks about, in all things, give thanks. For this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. So it is God's will for you to give thanks, <clears throat> give thanks in everything. That is contentment, giving thanks in everything. Paul told the Philippians that in whatsoever state you are, or he says, I've learned, in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And then the very next verse says, abounding or abased. In other words, if I have a lot or if I have a little, I am content in whatsoever state that I am in. Because God is the one who cares for me. I'm doing what God expects from me. And I'm doing it boldly. I'm doing it unashamedly. If that means in certain seasons I have less and in certain seasons I have more, that's besides the point. The point is I'm content in God. Now, how do you reach this point of contentment? I think this, these few verses we read together actually point that out to us. First of all, in verse 6 it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. So it has something to do with godliness. You find a lot of your contentment in the fact that you are pursuing something that is a lot bigger than just money. You find it in doing what God expects from you. Okay, so there's one thing in which you definitely find contentment. In verse 7 it says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I think you need to also realize that um, eternity is a lot bigger and has a lot more eternal value than this world. Whatever you have right now, whether you have the most stuff of anyone in this world or whether you have the least stuff of anyone in this world, all of it is staying here. It makes no difference in the bigger picture. So to realize you came with nothing and you're leaving with nothing carnally speaking, it really helps you to find contentment in the fact that, well, I'm thankful for what I do have, but it's really not a big deal if I don't have so much or that much, because at the end of the day, it's all going to waste. Now, another thing that I think we can find contentment or learn how to find contentment is in verse 8. It says, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Realize that God takes care of your needs. You have food to eat. You have clothes to wear. You have a place to sleep. That's a lot more than a lot of people have. And we should be content in the fact that we have our needs covered. And we thank God for that. And that should bring a lot of contentment. And another thing that I think will bring a lot of contentment is realizing that having your wants satisfied 
will not actually satisfy. <laughs> I mean, the amount of times that you think, oh, I can't wait, you know, in so many months, or then I'm, I'm getting a new this, or a new that, or I'm upgrading on my phone, or I'm, I can't wait for this to come, whatever it is that you like, whatever it is that, and then that thing comes, and you get that thing, and then two weeks, three weeks, and then it's, yeah, it's nice, but, right? And, and, and the Bible says that, Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity. If you put in, he that loveth will not be satisfied with clothes, phone, money, whatever. Whatever that thing is, once you have it, what next? What more? And so having your sight set on the things of this world and seeking contentment, you will never find it. And so I think contentment definitely is keeping your eyes on eternal things, realizing that pursuit of God brings contentment, eternal things bring contentment, and realizing this, the things of this world, there's nothing wrong with enjoying things that God has blessed you with, nothing wrong, but you're not going to find contentment in the next thing. And so stop seeking for the next thing, but rather enjoy it if it comes. All right, perspective number three. We, 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, verse 17, says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So what's the third perspective? The third perspective is your real pension is in heaven. <laughs> your real pension is in heaven. Now, I'm not saying you don't have to prepare for actual real-life pension. Obviously, you have to be wise, and we'll, we'll look at that. But the point is, He's saying, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. And says, nor trust in uncertain riches. You may have this great plan for your pension and how you're going to use your money and how all of it, but it is completely uncertain. That plan is based on you having a work, earning a certain amount, the economy staying a certain way, your investments growing a certain way, whatever. But I think people in in Russia and Ukraine have definitely had to alter their pension plans and that in a change like this and they had nothing to do with it. And so to trust in the uncertainty of riches and to say this is what I'm focusing on, this is what I'm going to do, it's a false way to approach it. But verse 17 says, but God gives us all these things to enjoy. But then it says rather in, in verse 18 that they do good. And that they be rich in what? In good works. Ready to distribute. Willing to communicate. In other words, they are ready to give. They are ready to share. They are reali realizing that I have this financial wealth, but there's something much bigger. And that is good works. And it says in verse 19, laying up in store. Right? Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. 
So it's talking about the time to come, the future, eternity. It actually says there that they may lay hold of eternal life. So grip, grab a hold of eternal life and realize that there's a time to come, and I'm going to lay up treasure for that time, not just for this time. Matthew chapter 6, I'm sure you're familiar with Jesus' words. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where, neither, where, where thieves do not break in through and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that basically... In other words, the, the things that you, you, you lay hold on and the things that you um, put away for that investment, for that pension, for, for that day, nothing is going to change that. It, it's not dependent on how much you're earning. It's not dependent on how much you're, I want to say, saving. It's not dependent on the economy. It's not dependent on politics. It's not dependent on anything. It doesn't corrupt. And to think of, a, if you have a good pension, you have, I don't know, 30 years of pension on this earth, and, okay, great, you have 30 years. Eternity <laughs> versus 30 years. We need to see, we need to have that perspective. We need to keep those principles in mind. Keep your place in First Timothy 6, but have a look at Luke, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. So here we read about a man who, um, who did not think of his eternal pension. Luke chapter 12 and verse 13 says, And one of the company said to him, Master, speak to my brother that he may divide the inheritance with me. So here's someone who's concerned about his piece of the, of the pie. He's concerned about his pension. And he said to him, Man, who hath made me judge or divider of you? It's Jesus speaking to him. And he said unto him, Take heed and beware of covetousness. That is an insatiable desire to have. It's greed. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Your life is not made up of how much you have. In a moment it changes. That does not make your life worth it. It does, not, it does not consist of that. Verse 16, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Um, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? In other words, he's getting that gain, right? He's getting that worldly gain. And he said, verse 18, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and I will build greater. And there will, there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, complacency. That's why I said it's not complacency what we're talking about, contentment. But it says, take thy ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? That is the reality of this life. Your riches 
have absolutely no, let me say this rather, your riches can have a phenomenal eternal impact. But if you're doing this, if you're hoarding so that you can take it easy, if that is the purpose, if that is your approach, if that is your perspective, then God says, you're a fool. Because this night, tomorrow, the day after, your soul is taken from you and then you leave nothing. You, you leave everything behind. You take nothing with you. And you stand before God with no eternal inheritance and no pension. <laughs> nothing provided for you for eternity. So does your financial planning include your eternal pension? Perspective number four. Let's have back in First Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. It says, verse 9, But they that will be rich, you understand what that's saying? They that desire to be rich. They that have a, a willingness, a will to be rich. So they that desire to be rich shall fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which some have coveted after and have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So the, f the fourth perspective I want to give you is that riches have a great ability to hinder your fellowship with God. Riches have a great ability to hinder your fellowship with God. We see in these verses that it says they've erred from the faith, They've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So this definitely can apply to, to those of us who are saved. We, we can err from the faith. So we have the faith, we know the faith, but we can err from it because we have placed money above God. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Right? The, what I find interesting in that verse, it's in Matthew chapter 6, you can't serve two masters. It says, for he will either hate the one, and love the other. It's the same word, love. We say the love of money. So he will either love mammon, or he will love God. God does not share his throne with mammon. He doesn't share his throne with riches. So if you want God on the throne, amen. But if you want mammon on the throne, your fellowship will sound like this. De uh, departed from the truth, pierced yourself with many sorrows, destruction, lusts, because your focus has become purely that of mammon. Mammon is on the throne, money is on the throne, and not God. Now, there are a lot more verses actually about this subject of how money affects the spiritual side of things. You may remember that Jesus said that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. I, 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 I don't know, my mind, <laughs> my mind wants to picture this like literally. Right? Can, a, can a camel pass through the eye of a needle? Well, no, not in one piece. <laughs> right? I mean, eventually, if he, was, if he decided to give up his life for that thing, and went little piece by piece, but that's utter destruction. Right? So, 
Can, can, a ca can this happen? Yes, but it is easier. It is easier for a camel so, than for a, man, a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. What about Dem Demas? Paul told Timothy that Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Right? He fell in love with the things of this world, and he forsook Paul. What about the parable of, a, of the sower? That about the, the seed that was um, thrown among the thorns. It says it's those that hear the word, but the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. The care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and they become unfruitful. Once again, fellowship, unfruitfulness. It's destroyed by this deceitfulness of riches, this desire this, to accumulate more of this world. So, what are the four principles? Is that gain is not godliness. It's that we should be content, but not complacent. That we need to realize that we have a real and more important pension in heaven. And also that riches have the ability to really hinder and destroy the fellowship that we can have with God. I'm going to close off the perspective point by saying what Jesus said in, in Mark chapter 8 verse 36. He says, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? What does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Let's get into the principles. You can open to well, you can open to Proverbs chapter 13, but I just want you to look at something in 1 Timothy chapter 5 um, while we're in Timothy. So in Proverbs 13 and um, 1 Timothy chapter 5. So we're also going to have four principles. Now in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 8, you may be familiar with the verse, but it says, 1 Timothy 5 8, But if any man, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. It is God's expectation for people to be able to provide, and this is specifically speaking about the elder, so it's speaking about the man who needs to provide for his family. And if he does or she doesn't do it, it is completely, I'm going to say, God says it's as bad as an infidel. You need to be able to take care of your household. Now, what we're going to look at is, is the first principle is you need to work for your money. That is, that is the biblical principle. You need to work for your money. Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. Now, you're probably familiar with 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul writes and he says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work... Neither should he eat. If any would not, it doesn't say if any cannot work. It also doesn't say if any is um, unable or whatever. It's saying if any would not. In other words, has no desire to work. I, it's too difficult. I'm lazy. Uh, I'm comfortable where I am. If any would not work, neither should he eat. So, you need to work for what you want. In, in um, 
Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11, it says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth shall, by labor shall increase. You need to gather by labor if you want to increase. That's, that's the principle. Work to eat, labor to increase. That is what the Bible tells us. And we do that because we want to be able to, well, we'll see uh, quite a few things, but we want to be able to give. We want to be able to um, be, uh, well, be a blessing to others. We want to take care of our household, as we saw in First Timothy 5. That, we want that because we want to be able to use that money for God's purposes. Page over to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6 and verse 6. It says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. So, sluggard, a complacent, lazy person. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. So, here you see, we are being instructed to say, Look at the ant. The ant works for what it wants, what it needs. So, principle. Work for your food. Work for your increase. Don't seek a get-rich-quick scheme. Don't get stuck in pyramid schemes. Don't, no. Work. Do a good job, and God will bless that good work, and you will grow in that position that you have. That's how it works. Work for what you need. But something else in this verse, and that's our second principle, is the ant that sees that there is a winter time coming and that I need to gather while there is something. And so the second principle is you need to plan. First principle is you need to work. The second principle is you need to plan. The ant sees that or knows that there is winter coming. I need to gather my food now in the summertime. Have a look at Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs 13. You need to plan. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, it says, Proverbs 13, 22, A good man leaveth an inheritance for his children's children, and he, the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So, I want to focus on the first part of this, but the, the latter part of the verse says, The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Remember that rich man who hoarded all his stuff in the barns? What happens to that? <laughs> It gets redistributed in some way. God is ultimately, look, from our perspective, we don't see all of this, but God ultimately sees that this unrighteous rich man stored up all this stuff, did all this, but some of that is going to be redistributed in God's way to people who need it more. But the beginning of the verse is, a good man leaveth an inheritance for his children's children. Tell me, how do you leave an inheritance for not just your children, but your children's children if you're not willing to save or invest, it's not going to happen. How are you going to effectively save and invest if you're not willing to plan? How do you know what you have to save, when you can, when you can't, how you should, if you don't plan? So, we need to plan. God expects us to plan. Have a look at Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21 and verse 20. Proverbs 21 and verse 20 says, There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. 
but foolish, but a foolish man spendeth it up. So, there is treasure in the house of the wise. They, there's oil in their lamp, they have food, they have lights, they, everything is sorted. But in the house of the fool, it's, everything is spent. So in other words, what comes in, goes out. Comes in, goes out. And so what, if something happens, if there's calamity or emergency or whatever happens, economic change, then all of a sudden, something's got to give. Because you've been living up to that edge. And so we need to plan, we need to save, we need to invest. These are all principles that God gives us to do. What about Joseph in Egypt? He knew of the seven years coming, so he planned for it. He stored up. And Egypt was wealthy in comparison to all the other nations around them. What about Jesus, the parable that Jesus gives about the, the man that, that went away and he gives his stewards five pence there and two and one, and what do they do with those talents? The one invested, the five becomes ten, the two becomes four, but the one stays one because he did nothing with it. And that man is called a fool, a, 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 a wicked servant. Now, I think there's a reason he only got one, because something of his character told this man, I probably should not put my money here, <laughs> right? But the point is, it's not about the, the man who, who had two and made four was just as praised as the man who had five and made ten. So it's not about the quantity. It's about the principle. The principle is, I get, I need to do something with it. And so that is the principle that God wants us to live according to. There's a lot more to say about this, but it's not a lesson on budgeting, planning, saving. So the principle is this. Seek wisdom if you need more instruction on that. Principle number three, Proverbs 22, verse 7. Principle number three is you need to dodge dodgy debt. You need to dodge dodgy debt. Proverbs 22 and verse 7 says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is a servant to the lender. Tell me, um, is it good for us to be servants to as many things as possible, or should we try and free ourselves up so we can serve God as good as possible? You don't want to be a servant to the bank, a servant to this, a servant to that, a servant to whatever, habits, time, money. You want to try and like free yourself up so that you can serve God as effectively as possible. You don't want to unnecessarily make yourself a servant to someone who has lended money, right? So that, that's the one principle. But this is not yet the dodgy debt, okay? This is a principle. The dodgy debt is in verse 26. Verse 26, Proverbs 22:26. it says, Be not thou one of them that strike hands, or of them that are sureties of debts. If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? Don't, if you have nothing to pay, in other words, you do not have the money right here, right now, to get something, why should you put your bed, your house, as surety for that thing? That's not wise. Even more so for someone else. That is not a wise way of handling your money. So if you have signed your assets, your things, as surety for someone else's, don't do it. But don't even do it with your own stuff. But if you've done that, in Proverbs chapter 6, Proverbs chapter 6, basically what happens there in Proverbs 6 is the wisdom that is given there is get out of it. Go to that person and say, 
I need to get out of this. What can we do to, get, to set this straight? Get out of the debt that you have. In, in Romans 13, where we have principles, and Paul is telling the people that they need to pay their taxes, they need to give tribute to who tribute is due, and then he goes on to say, owe no man anything. That is, what, that is what you should at least strive for. But life happens. Emergencies happen. That's what I'm saying. These are not rules. But if you can be not enslaved by debt, if you can be in a position where I owe no man anything, that's what we need to strive for. Because then it means we are free from all these other commitments. And if God wants us to do something with extra money or be a blessing, then we have it. Right? If you think about what money is allocated in your budget to debt, if you did not have that, imagine, I don't know, I don't know all of your situation, but imagine the, that free money, what it could be used for, whatever it is. So the principle is we dodge the dodgy debt, definitely, but there's also a principle of just trying to avoid debt, but also if you're in debt, repay it, get out of it as quickly as possible. Psalm 37 verse 21 says, the wicked borroweth, and payeth not again. Pay your debts, get out of it as quickly as you can. All right, the last principle, the last principle is give. You need to give. So you need to work for your money, you need to plan, you need to save, and you need to dodge debt as far as you can. And then the fourth principle is you need to give. Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3, you need to give. Proverbs 3 and verse 9. It says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out at, uh, with new wine. So, honor the Lord with thy substance. So that which you have, honor God with it. Having money and being able to give is a way of honoring God. But it also says, uh, um, with the first fruits of thine increase. In other words, it's, you don't get money, then you do everything what you want to, want to do in the month, and then if there's something left, I'll give to God. It says, honor God with the first fruits. In other words, I receive, and I say, give as the Lord has prospered me, and I am, I'm a cheerful giver, because God loves a cheerful giver, and so God gives, and I give to what God wants me to give. I don't wait to see if there's something left. And then say, oh, right, I have something left. That's not how it works. You bless God, you honor God with the first fruits. Have a look at Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 and verse 9. It says, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Now that, he that has a bountiful eye, that's to say a generous eye. Someone who has got an eye, it's not talking about someone who is necessarily giving the whole time and everything, it's saying he has an eye. So in other words, looking, see, oh, there, that needs help. I think I should give, like, your, 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 the way your, your thinking is framed is in such a way to say, I want to be a blessing where God wants me to be a blessing. He's given me this, so where and how does he want me to give? So have that generous eye, for that eye shall be blessed because he gives to the poor. Now, Pastor Mike has taught a lesson about helping the poor, 
So we're not going into that, but there are principles, right? According to which, and go listen to that lesson, principles. According to which, how you give. But people we give to are widows and fatherless, the poor, ministries and missions, and then your local church where you get fed. Do not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. So do not, do not the, the one who's doing the work, the one who's feeding you spiritually, he who preaches the gospel needs to live by the gospel. All right, so that's a way in which we give. We've run out of time somewhat. You're familiar with the cheerful giver and the laborer that's worthy of his reward. So the principle is we want to give as God has prospered us. Now, if I can just give a few pointers, and then we're done. I want to say the pointers are somewhat, as I said, these are for practice, and these are very practical, and it's also somewhat a summary, but I think it should stick with us. The first thing is stay away from debt as, as much as you can. Um, and if you have debt, get out of it as quickly as you can. There will be emergencies, and sometimes emergencies necessitate drastic action. But if you were a wise ant, <laughs> hopefully you would have saved and you wouldn't have to necessarily go into debt to cover whatever cost it is. So be proactive in that thinking. Um, another one is, um, and this is more a guideline on debt, I would say, but try not to make debt for depreciating items. Making debt for, to start up a business and it's a great idea and you can, you know, fine. Buying a home, to a large extent, that's an investment. It's something that doesn't depreciate in value. But don't make debt for clothes or holidays or food, or dare I say it, cars. <laughs> like, it, it's not necessarily something that's increasing in value. And so it's just, it's not a rule. It's a good principle. All right, point number three. Don't lend. Rather give. That, that's the principle Jesus gives us in Luke. He says in Luke chapter 6, and if you lend to them of, um, of whom you have you hope to receive, so if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to, um, lend to sinners, and they expect to receive much gain. So in other words, they, sinners lend to sinners, and they charge them interest, and they're doing it to make money. Jesus says, love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. So if you help someone, don't do it expecting them to repay you over six months at this rate. No. If God lays on your heart to help that person, help that person. Don't expect it in return. That's ideally the position you want to find yourself. Point number four. Establish your needs versus your wants. There is a difference. <laughs> Establish your needs versus your wants. Beware of the accumulation of stuff because these funds that you wasted on stuff... If there's things in your house that you never use, clothes you never wear, that's money you've spent on stuff, that could have been for that emergency, could have been for giving to the church, could have been for helping that person, could, but now it's just stuff. And that stuff you're just gathering up in bonds. So establish your needs and your wants. Point number five, live below your means. No, much, much more to say. The only way you can do that, by the way, is if you budget. Just, just saying. Point number six, build the resistance against the word sale. Build the resistance against the word sale. Sale often means, I would not have bought this if it was not on sale. Therefore, I've spent money on something I would not have spent it on. Therefore, I've lost money. 
basically. <laughs> if it was not on sale, you wouldn't have bought it. Because it's on sale, you bought it. So you have less than you would have had if it wasn't on sale. So it's actually not a deal. Unless it's something you need it, of course, then great. Okay, point number seven. Don't be rash. Pray about it. Don't be rash. Pray about it. A faithful steward would say, Lord, what would thou have me to do with this man? Think about James chapter 4 where it speaks about this man who says, I'm going to go into this and this city and I'm going to start this business and I'm going to get gain and this is my plan. But he says what we should rather say is, Lord, if thou wilt, if it is your will, I will do this. I will go there. I will start this business. Whatever. Lord, if you will. And so don't be rash in your decision. Pray about it. The faithful steward says, what would thou? The unfaithful steward says, flesh, what do you want? Instead of, Lord, what will you have me to do? Okay, so this is important because God has said a lot about it, but also the way we handle our money has a spiritual implication. It, it it's tests our character and whether we are faithful with the things God has given us. We should not neglect it, and we should definitely take it seriously because God has said something about it. And I think if we can be people who manage what God has given us faithfully in this small area, how much more the true riches can be entrusted to us, and we as individuals and as a church can do so much more for God's purpose. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time this morning, and Lord, for your truly, Lord, this book of great wisdom. Um, Lord, thank you for these, for these principles, Lord. Thank you for the perspective that it offers and the practical guidelines that it gives us in our daily life. Lord, help us to, to make the changes. Lord, may it start now in our mind and in our hearts with a desire to please you even with this small thing. And Lord, may it from there grow into something that changes our conduct and our life so that we can do more for you and not just for our flesh and our desires, Lord. Help us to have that eternal view, not just on money, but on everything, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for, for your guidance and just for the privilege it is to know you and, Lord, to have you shepherd us and guide us every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.